Father, we do thank you for this morning. And God, we thank you for being here in your spirit. God, I thank you for the way that you have already spoke to us through music, through the message of our choir, and through the words of the lyrics that we sang. God, I pray now that you would continue to speak to us, into our hearts, into our minds, so that those words might root in who we are and then bear fruit in what we do. God, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you for coming for us. And God, we pray that we would not take it for granted, but God, that we would stop even for just today, even for just a moment, and praise your name for the fact that you came for us. And then share it with others. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, Friday was St. Patrick's Day. Hope everybody wore green. By the way, did you know back when that first started, St. Patrick's Day, his color was actually blue at first? I didn't know that uh, until I did a little research on St. Patrick's Day. Uh, But St. Patrick's Day ended up being, or St. Patrick ended up being associated with green simply because he's from Ireland. And Ireland is this very green place, if any of you have ever been there or seen any pictures of Ireland. So that's where the green came from in case anybody got pinched on Friday for not wearing any. Um... But there's also a lot of other things about St. Patrick that we completely, at least as a culture, maybe not you personally, but at least as a culture in the United States, that we completely overlook when it comes to St. Patrick's Day. Because by and large, just to be frank, uh, St. Patrick's Day in the United States of America is about, what, wearing green, dressing up like a leprechaun maybe, dyeing the Chicago River green, um, drinking way too much alcohol. That's something that a lot of people in our world do because of St. Patrick's Day. There's uh, even green beverages and all those sorts of things. And we have turned what is a sacred uh, remembrance of someone who did something really awesome for the Lord into this completely secularized, worldly uh, holiday. Uh, And if uh, people that I've read, I haven't been to Ireland myself, but I've read of people who have gone to Dublin and have been there, and it's not treated nearly the same way in Ireland as it is in, say, New York City or anywhere on the eastern coast where there's a lot of uh, Irish immigrants or descendants of Irish immigrants. Anyway, St. Patrick, uh, those of you know, he was kind of the missionary to Ireland. Uh, And the way that he got there in the first place was that uh, he had grown up in in England, I believe, and he was uh, captured uh, by Irish, for lack of a better term, pirates. Uh, And they enslaved him, brought him back to Ireland, uh, put him to work, probably uh, shepherding animals. Uh, And then one day he got a vision or he heard a message, an audible message uh, that he later determined was from the Lord, even though he at the time wasn't really a believer. We would probably call him an atheist or agnostic by our standards today. Uh, But he heard this vision to go and leave and he found a boat, got on the boat, went back to England or went back to the the European mainland. Uh, Just kind of depends on which story you read as to what exactly happened. Uh, But while he was there, he uh, became more involved in his faith, uh, faith that had really started to begin while he was enslaved in Ireland. Uh, He joined, uh, uh, he became a monk and he he, he began to to know more and more about the Lord and eventually he he was called back to Ireland. Uh, Some say that he was called much in the same way that Paul received the Macedonian vision that Patrick received an Ireland vision where he was called in a dream by an Irishman to come back and spread the gospel in Ireland. Ireland, which he did. Uh, So he actually went back to the people that enslaved him, literally loving his enemies in order to spread the gospel in Ireland. And much of Irish today has a a Christian background because of St. Patrick. And so it's ironic that we take this uh, religious, religious, this Christian spiritual hero, uh, and we turn him into something completely different, at least in the United States when we have St. Patrick's Day. 
And that's fitting today because we're going to talk about the very idea of evangelism. Uh, It's something that I like to talk about at least every once in a while uh, so that we can keep it forefront on our mind that this is our main objective, our main goal, our main calling from the Lord uh, is to share what he has done in us with other people. Just to share uh, something about, about me, I sometimes, and, and I know nobody else in the room is like this, but I sometimes take things too personally. Nobody else is like that, right? None of you take things personally. If someone uh, you know, says, hey, you need to not wear what you have on, you need to change and fix it, or if you get a haircut and somebody doesn't like it, none of us take that personally, do we? We just think, ah, that's just somebody's opinion. No big deal. Right? That's, that's how we as humans operate. I take things personally sometimes. For instance, and, and I'm learning this as, as I grow into parenthood more, uh, that if I ever hear anything even kind of negative about my child, like, you know, he's... Uh, he's not as fast as another kid or something ridiculous like that. There is a part of me that takes that personally. Again, parents, I know I'm the only one. I know that none of you think your kids are as awesome as I think my kid is. And if you do, you're wrong because my kid's more awesome. And I'm going to take it personally if you disagree with me. Sorry, you probably just took that personally. But I tend to take things, some things personally, too personally. Any kind, of, any kind of comment that could even be constructive, usually if I stop and take a moment, I can see the constructive nature of criticism. But in the moment, there's that part of me that takes things personally. But there's some things I don't think I take personally enough. I, I take things personally that are really trivial in nature, that are based on other people's opinions. But there are some things that I fail to take as personally as I ought to. Namely, the idea of evangelism, taking that personally. I see it kind of as our general duty as the church, and I think this is where a lot of us land, is that we know that we're called to evangelize the world, to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ to those who are are, are lost and going to hell without it, That, that that's our goal, that's our objective, that's our calling, yet I think we often fail to take that personally. We want to generalize it and say that's the church's job. But when it comes to that's my job, do we really believe that? Even if we say it, do we really believe that? Because according to the statistics, around half of us don't. According to Barna research done in 2013, Barna the Christian pollster, roughly half or 46% of Protestants, Protestant Christians, said that in the last year they had not had a faith conversation with an unbeliever trying to convert them or give them some kind of knowledge about their faith. That number gets even lower or higher, people who have not shared in the last year when you consider all Christians. Now, it's a little lower when you consider evangelicals. It's about 30% of evangelicals say that they have not shared the gospel with someone in the past year, but evangelicals, that would be us. Uh, the, the bad part about the truth behind the evangelical world is that we are the most likely to believe that evangelism is essential but fail to do it. Uh, in other words, we're the biggest hypocrites in the whole group. Uh, that we believe it's extremely important, but we are the, the, the biggest disconnect between people who believe it's important, that it is a responsibility that we have, and people who actually follow through with it. As a matter of fact, Barna, the pollster, described, or, or one of their litmus test checkoffs for being a, an evangelical is that you believe that sharing the gospel is essential. So they would say that 100% of evangelicals feel that being evangelical is a good idea. It's something that we should do, but only 69% of, of the people in the evangelical world have shared the gospel once in the past year. 
Now, even that seems like a low bar, I would think, once in the past year, as if that's the standard that we're striving for. This is where we have come in our world. This is where we are in modern-day Christianity, where to where if you're sharing the gospel once in a year, you're doing better than half the people who wear the name of Jesus Christ as their Savior. That's where we are today. That's the state of evangelism in the church. And that is where we get the cliche that we're going to talk about this morning as we end up our Bible or Babel series. And it's not really a cliche. It's something that I do hear sometimes, uh, something that I have heard or that I, at least an idea that I have perceived from people. And that cliche is this. I don't have the gift of evangelism. Well, you're talking about spiritual gifts on Wednesday night. So again, we're taking the test and evangelist is sometimes listed in the spiritual gifts assessment as uh, one of the spiritual gifts to have. But some people will say, I don't have the gift of evangelism, which means I'm off the hook, right? According to other Barner research done a little bit earlier uh, in this century, uh, it found that there were about 4% of people uh, that thought that they had the gift, 4% of Christians, uh, that thought that they had the gift of evangelism. And then by the time they did the next poll several years later, I think 2010 or before, that had gone down to about 1%. So 1% of the church thinks that it is spiritually gifted in evangelism or has the spiritual gift of evangelists. And so that gives 99% of the rest of us the opportunity to use this cliche, or I'm going to call it more likely an excuse. And by the way, I'm going, to end to- I'm going to err totally on the Bible side today, because I think this one is just a bunch of bunk. I'm just going to be honest from the outset. Uh, the idea that, that I don't have the spiritual gift of evangelism. It, it, 99% of us have the opportunity to use that excuse, because that's not our spiritual gift. And this cliche or this excuse is based on the misconception that sharing your faith is a special calling meant for a select few when it is most certainly not. It comes from an incorrect interpretation of Ephesians 4.11 in which Paul does talk about the gift or the calling of evangelists. It's not the gift of evangelism, it's the gift of being an evangelist. An evangelist is someone that we would consider to be like Billy Graham or someone like that who is known for speaking in front of large groups of people and sharing the gospel in a very simple and yet profound way uh, that, that creates a, a mass number of people to come to conversion. That is someone who has the spiritual gift of being an evangelist evangelist, but evangelism is something that we are all called to. Evangelism is not a gift for a select few. It is a responsibility given to all who seek to follow Jesus. It's not meant for just a few people to give, have the gift of evangelism. All of us have been given that responsibility. And we know this from scripture. Again, our main text is Acts 4, 18 through 20, but just some others, and you, you know these, uh, but that show us the reality that the evangelism is a responsibility for all of God's people. Uh, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Again, I know you know it, but I'm going to read it anyway because it always bears us uh, good to read this. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations 
nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Again, this was not for a select group. This was for all the people who were following Jesus at the time, watching him ascend to heaven. He gave this message to all of us through them so that we would go make disciples, baptize those whom we made disciples, and teach them to obey everything uh, that he had commanded us to obey. He says uh, very similar words in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, kind of a different stating of this great commission. Jesus said to the people as they were gathered before he ascended into heaven, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And then one other place that's not thought about as often, but that gives us kind of the same idea is Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18. Paul says these words describing our calling. He says, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Just a couple of verses later in verse 20, Paul calls us ambassadors for Jesus Christ. That this is our calling, an ambassador. That's someone who is in a foreign land that represents another land. That is all of our callings. That is not a select few. That is for absolutely everyone. And so why isn't evangelism more of a common practice? Maybe it's because we feel inadequate, that we don't know enough, or that we're not gifted enough. And so we hide behind that excuse that we are not gifted with the gift of evangelism. Or we feel that we might uh, mumble up the words, or we might, we might misrepresent the gospel. And, and so we're worried about our own humanity and, and fleshliness kind of getting in the way of presentation of the gospel. Maybe we don't want to be offensive or at least awkward, uh, that we don't want to have a conversation with someone, uh, you know, especially a stranger or even someone that we know, someone that we work with, because that would be like a breach of decorum. It's kind of looked at in that way in our culture today, that there are some things you don't talk about, politics and religion being two of them. Uh, And if anybody kind of bridges those, they're kind of seen as, whoa, you're being a little pushy. And so we're worried that we might seem offensive in that way. But really, even those are excuses. I think ultimately it comes down to the reality that we simply don't want to. Because if we did want to, we would do it. We would find a way. Think about it this way. Imagine that uh, Cannon, who is 11 months old about now, that uh, if he, I go home today, Cheryl and I are just hanging out sometime, you know, after lunch on a Sunday afternoon. And he has a dirty diaper. And Cheryl has changed like the last five. That's usually the case. She changes a lot more than I do. I'll go ahead and give her credit. She's changed the last five, and she says, man, I'm really tired. When she's laid down, maybe she's in the middle of a nap. And, of course, I'm the one that notices it. I'm the one who smells it. I'm the one who finds it. Uh, Sorry if I'm being a little graphic there, but I'm the one who finds it. And so I say to her, hey, can you take care of this? And she says, no, I've already done this the last five times. Why don't you take that? What if I responded to that with, you know, honey, I've prayed about that really hard. I've read scripture. I've searched my soul And the strengths that I have. And I just don't think I have the gift of diaper changing. (laughs) How would she respond? How would you respond, ladies, if your husband did that or had done that at some point in your life? We don't get to opt out of that. That's something that comes with parenthood. 
you know, unless there's like some kind of medical thing where I just, I can't hold back from vomiting or something if that happens, then I need to be involved in that process. That is something for which I'm responsible. Something when I said we have a partnership, when I signed the marriage license, uh, when I said I do, that all of these things I'm going to be a part of, when I, when I agreed with what the pastor said at our wedding, I agreed to hold myself to that level of responsibility. That this is a part of what I'm called to do. We don't get to opt out, even if we don't want to. And I think ultimately that's what it comes down to. And there are so many ways that we in our American culture today, because it's not popular, it's not easy, and sometimes it can be offensive to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Bible even says that. That the gospel can be offending to people. That it can be a stumbling block to people. To let them know that Jesus Christ is the only way that they can save themselves from an eternity in hell. That can be offensive to some people. But if we hide behind those excuses, it's simply because we don't want to do it badly enough. That it's not a deep enough desire, a deep enough part of who we are. And so let's take the excuses away and let's look at a very simple description of what evangelism looks like in scripture by a couple of simple men. They became known as heroes in the New Testament, but they started as unlearned, uneducated men who God used to do amazing things. And we see part of their story in Acts chapter 4 verses 18 through 20 if you want to open up there. Just a little context Peter and John is who we're talking about. In chapter 3, they were walking uh, through the streets, and they walked up upon the gate called Beautiful, the temple gate called Beautiful, and they saw a beggar there who was begging for money, a beggar who was lame, couldn't walk. And instead of giving him money, Peter said to him, silver and gold have I none, but what I do have I will give to you. Stand up and walk. And the man got up and walked. And he didn't just walk, he got up, and he all of a sudden had the full range of motion that a young man would have. And because of this, along with them simply proclaiming the message of resurrection from the dead in Jesus, the authorities got upset with Peter and John. They arrested them, and that's where we pick up in chapter 4, verses 18 through 20, when the authorities give them their threat. So they called them and charged them, being Peter and John, not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. For we cannot but speak about what we have seen and heard. Peter and John took evangelism, took the gospel personally. And that's what I want for you this morning. I meant to say that at the beginning and skipped over it. But when it comes to evangelism, take evangelism personally. Take it personally. There's a lot of things we don't take personally that we should. Evangelism is one of those things. We often take things that too personally that we shouldn't in the first place. Peter and John took evangelism personally. They basically said they couldn't help it. Like they couldn't stop themselves from, from sharing the gospel. They simply had to. You see, for the follower of Jesus, evangelism is not a gift. It is a compulsion. There is something within us, the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ, I believe, that literally compels us to tell people about what we have seen and heard. And if we resist that, we resist the very thing that makes us a Christian. 
that moved us to follow Jesus in the first place. The Holy Spirit speaking within us to do that primary goal, that primary work to share the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ with a lost and dying world. Peter and John were compelled to proclaim the gospel, even if they didn't want to, even if it was going to be problematic for them, awkward for them, dangerous. It was going to be dangerous for them. They had to know this. These were the same men that killed Jesus not that long before they get in front of them and tell them this. By the way, that's not all they said. Uh, they went ahead and talked about Jesus being crucified, and, and they asked them, who's the, 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 uh, the priests and the, and the elders, I asked them, you know, why do you do this, and whose name do you do this? And they said, we do this in the name of Jesus, whom you crucified. They weren't afraid of what might come their direction by calling out the very people that sent Jesus to his death. They weren't afraid of it because they could not resist the compulsion to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, even if it was deadly for them. We see an Old Testament scripture being echoed in this passage. One of my favorite, favorite, you've heard me use it before. I love using it because I think it gets at this exact idea. It's the prophet Jeremiah speaking about the word that God put in his heart, a word that he doesn't like, a word that he knows brings him pain. As a matter of fact, in Jeremiah 20, I'm going to read verse 9 here in a second, but later on, towards the end of the chapter, Jeremiah curses the day that he was born, wished that he had not been born, sends curses upon the people that announced his coming birth to his ultimate father, his earthly father. He wishes that he hadn't even existed in the first place because of how painful speaking the word of God is because there's so many people that are coming against him for it. Yet within that context, in Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 9, the prophet Jeremiah says this, If I say I will not mention him or speak anymore in his name, there is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I am weary with holding it in, and I cannot. It is a compulsion to share the message of God, to share the message of Jesus Christ with a lost and dying world. Jeremiah says, I wish that I couldn't. I want to be free from this. But even when I do, there is something within me that hurts if I don't do it. It feels like a burning fire shut up in my bones. I grow weary from holding it in, and I can't. I can't not share what God has called me to share. This is the kind of compulsion that Jeremiah had, that Peter and John had. You know, I don't struggle to keep quiet about some things, right? I don't struggle to tell people about some things. I I don't keep quiet about what I have seen and heard in in other areas of life. I, I, I don't struggle to find ways to tell you about my family. I don't have to rack my brain and, and, and come up with a five-point strategy to tell you about Corbin and Cannon and Cheryl. It just kind of comes out in conversation because it's a part of who I am. I'm her husband and their father. That's a part of my makeup. That's a part of my identity. It's not something that I can just ignore. Like even if I wanted to, which I certainly don't, but even if I did want to, I, I wouldn't be able to get away from that because of the relationship that we have. Because of the way that I love them and the way that I know they love me back. And within that relationship, again, I don't have to look for ways. I don't have to rack my brain and think desperately and go through a bunch of training to figure out how I'm going to tell people about my family. No, I tell them because I love them. Because it's primary on my heart. It's a part of who I am. 
You see, one of the reasons we don't evangelize is because we don't know the love of God. Because we don't fully know the width and breadth and depth of the love that God has for us. Because if we did, if we could truly grasp as a church universal, as a church local here in Grandview, as individual Christians and followers of Jesus Christ, if any of us, if we as a group could ever grasp the love that God has for us, not the world, not us altogether, I'm talking about if I could ever fully grasp the love that God had for me, you would not be able to shut me up. There would be no way that you could tell me to be quiet about the gospel. How do I know? Because that's what happened to the characters in Scripture. You threaten them with death, they don't care. They say it anyway. And what are we threatened with in our culture? An awkward moment, and that scares us away. Being a little bit embarrassed, being a little bit vulnerable, maybe seeming like we don't really know everything that everybody else thinks that we're supposed to know. And those things scare us away from sharing the gospel with people. We can do it when we're on trips, when we're somewhere else, but it's with the people we know we come up with all these excuses. Yet the people in scripture, even in the face of death, even in the face of wishing that they were dead, instead of having to do this thing that God called them to do, they could not help it. Because they knew the love of God. Peter and John knew it. Peter witnessed it firsthand when even though he had rejected God by denying him three times on the night that he was arrested, even when Peter was in that situation, at the end of the book of John, Jesus welcomes him back in and calls him again to feed his sheep, restoring him by asking him three times, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you really love me? And Peter says, yes, Lord, I love you. Then feed my sheep, Jesus tells him. Peter had seen the love of Christ in that way. He knew he didn't deserve it because of what he had done, and yet Jesus invited him back in. And it's the same for each one of us, all of us, as we know, because of the the true gospel message have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, yet Jesus invites us back in by what he did on the cross. If we could ever really understand and appreciate that, it would evangelism would not be something that we had to try really hard to do. It would be something that we just did because it was a part of who we were, not something that we took for granted. Again, I don't struggle to find other conversations. I don't struggle to talk about my bracket that I set up for March Madness with people that love basketball. I don't struggle to have conversations during the fall about zebra football. I don't struggle to have conversations about television, about pop culture, about whatever joke you want to tell. I don't struggle to have those. It just comes natural because humor and and watching television and pop culture and sports and, and my family, those are all a part of who I am. But none of them are nearly as close, as important as the relationship that I have with the God who became man and died to save my soul. That should be the very core of who I am. And if I really believe that, if you really believe that, Nobody in this world, even with a gun in our face, would be able to stop us from telling the gospel. Peter and John's boldness. Fellas, you decide if it's right in your eyes that we should obey you over God. But as for us, we cannot help it but tell people about what we have seen and heard. You see, there's the how of evangelism. It's really not that complex. Tell them, tell the people about what you have seen and heard. That's all Peter and John did. 
They had seen Jesus do amazing, amazing things, and so not only did they tell people about it, they did some of those things too. They had just healed a man, for goodness sake. They followed in Jesus' footsteps. Tell them about what you have seen and heard. If you're more of a strategy person, there's nothing wrong with a good strategy. I'm not hating on strategy. There's several good ones. Romans Road, the ABCs of Salvation, Life on Mission. By the way, Brad will throw that slide up. We did this last year in February and March. We looked at a way to present the gospel to non-believers that we start with God's design. We talk about the perfect world that God made for us to love God and love each other, that we send our way out of that, uh, and that we found ourselves in a place of brokenness, looking all these different directions for salvation, not finding any of it on our own. All the while, God was telling the story of the gospel of Jesus Christ by sending himself to become his son in the flesh, to come and live and be tempted in every way that we are, yet without sin, and inviting us into relationship with him. And if we just repent from our evil ways and repent from our sin and believe in what God did, then he will allow us to be taken back into his design, to back into what he originally intended for us. Again, that's a simple illustration. You could put on the back of a napkin. We did that as a church body. We looked at that for several weeks last year. If you want to go back and look up those sermons, they're online. You can find them. Again, it was February and March of last year. If you have an iPhone or a Droid, there's an app. This is called the Life Conversation Guide, Life on Mission Conversation Guide, where you can get this very drawing and even draw it step by step on your phone so that you can share the gospel with people. There are good strategies. There are good strategies out there. And if that's something, you're more of a strategic person and you want to see a picture of it, those are good ways that you can do it. But start the conversation, whether it's at work or at school, look for opportunities to share the gospel. With strangers, look for opportunities. One of the things that I've been challenging myself to do that I haven't done nearly enough, if I'm being totally honest, is that when I go out to eat, Cheryl and I do that probably too much for our budget, but we go out to do that a lot. We go out to eat. Just ask that stranger, when you pray together over your meal, stop and say, hey, we're about to pray together. Is there any way I can pray for you? And maybe that'll open up a door that you can have a faith conversation. If not, or at least it will let them know that they are being prayed for by a person that loves God and loves them. That's just somewhere to start. Look for those opportunities with your coworkers. If you're sitting somewhere and they ask you about your weekend plans, include the fact that you're going to church on Sunday and let that open up a conversation. Or if you're doing some activity with the church, tell people about it. And that's a good way to get your foot in the door so that you can share why you go to church, why it's so important to you. And don't wait on them to ask the question. That's what we do today. We hide behind little phrases like share the gospel and when necessary, use words. Do you know that quote is attributed to St. Francis, but St. Francis never ever said that. Uh, That's something that we lack in our culture because we don't like to actually use words. We can hide behind it as if we really behave really well, that people will see our behavior and they will say, okay, now I need to repent of all my sins and get saved. No, at some point you have to tell them. At some point, you have to actually share vocally the gospel or at least hand them something on a piece of paper to let them know the truth about Jesus Christ. Yes, God can do it by whatever means he wants to, even through revealing his invisible attributes to somebody, but he has called us not just to live it, but to proclaim it, to do both. This is our life on mission. Maybe it's knocking on doors. There's a novel idea. You know what? I'm about to get on a soapbox. I'm going to go ahead and warn you for just a second uh, about my generation and, and really all the generation on the earth today is that we have taken things that used to work and we have thrown them out as if they are passe. 
And it's not because they're passe. It's not because they don't work. I think it's because it's uncomfortable in our culture to knock on a stranger's door, have them open the door in whatever, you know, whatever dress they have on. It can be awkward to go into somebody's home and have them answer the door in a, you know, a, 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 a tank top and a, in, in shorts. It can be awkward. It's just an awkward conversation. But to have them open the door and say, hey, my name's Corey. I go to First Baptist Church. Or you don't even have to say that. I'm, I'm Corey. I'm a follower of Jesus. Do you know him? Like, yeah, that might not work some of the time. Yeah, there's probably better ways to evangelize. But if you're not doing anything, why not? Instead, we want to hide behind it, right? We want to hide behind the excuse, oh, that doesn't work. Because people in our culture today aren't really open to people opening their door. You know, when we did the, uh, the thing with, with Greg Laurie at, at Texas Stadium or the new Texas Stadium, that's one of the things we did is we went around and knocked on people's door. Amy and a group of other people went and did it in VBS. People actually opened the door, didn't they? They didn't run away. They didn't slam the door in your face. We hide behind those things, or we hide behind like the old idea of passing out tracks, right? That's one of the things that, that we in, the, in the, the so, you know, smart and technological age, we, we look down upon tracks and these, these little explanations of the gospel because it's, it's too simplified or it's, it's not personal enough. Yeah, again, there are better ways with people you actually know, people that you work with, live with, but you got to start somewhere. Don't hate on those things because they're uncomfortable or they're difficult. Get out and do something. And spread that gospel. Go and tell the message. Because there's one secret. You don't have to have some super detailed strategy. You don't have to be the most eloquent person that ever lived. You don't have to be a a theological doctorate. You don't have to be any of those things. You know what you have to do? Be loved by Jesus and love Jesus and tell people about what you have seen and heard. There's your testimony, folks, about what you have seen and heard, where you were before God, what God did in your life to intersect and interject salvation into your plan, into your story, and what has happened in your life since then. What you have seen and heard, it's that simple. One part of the context of this passage in Acts chapter 4 that I left out is that when the people, especially the learned men in the Jewish world, looked at Peter and John, they saw them as what they were, uneducated, simple fishermen. And yet it was these guys, especially Peter, who spoke very simple words and saw thousands of people come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Do something. It doesn't have to be super, super detailed and strategic. Because I don't know about you, but when I read through the scripture, I don't see Jesus sit his disciples in a room and do a PowerPoint together over how they can share the gospel. No, I see him say, go and make disciples. He has a strategy. It's just not that complex. Make disciples, baptize, and teach. And you do it, according to Acts 1.8, at home, your broader area, and then to the uttermost parts of the earth. There's Jesus's strategy. I don't need to put that on a napkin for you. I don't need to give you a PowerPoint presentation. I don't need to write a book. None of those things are bad. Don't get me wrong. All of those things are good. But in reality is a simple truth that if you have the Holy Spirit in you, you know how to do it. Tell people about what you have seen and heard. You know, you all have a testimony and all of them are awesome. Because all of them are about church. You never knew yourself to be any, no matter how wonderful or flowery you think it is. If you grew up in the church, you never knew yourself to be anything other than a Christian. You didn't know what it was like to live as a lost person, like by our worldly definition. 
Even that is a beautiful testimony because of what your parents did in your life. It's truth. It's beautiful because it's about Jesus. So my advice to you this morning, take it personally. Take the gospel personally. Take evangelism personally. Celebrate what God has done for you. Share that with others. And get the sense of urgency. Maybe this is what I should have talked about the whole time. Because this is where the rubber really really meets the road. I, I know you know this. But let's just spell it out very plainly. There are literally billions of people living in the world today that if things don't change in their lives, they will die having never confessed Jesus as Lord and Savior and therefore spend an eternity in hell. You know that. I know that. Those words came off my tongue way too easy. And maybe they hit your ears way too easy as well. Oh, now you're trying to guilt trip me, preacher. No, I'm telling you the truth and why we should be urgent about the gospel of Jesus. Of why after reflecting over this, this past week, of why I have felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit personally, and why it bothers me personally, that it is so easy for me to talk about my family or my hobbies. So much easier than sharing literally the best thing in the universe. Why? Because I'm a sinner. Yeah, I know, that's the simple answer. But if I really believed that God loved me like his word says that he loves me, he wouldn't be able to shut me up. Never. I dare you. There's no way. And if church history and the Bible tell us anything, if you tried to shut me up, it would just be more effective. Because that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm not much of one for calling for repentance or lamentation. But right now in 2017 of America, where the high bar is sharing the gospel once a year, we ought to lament the fact That we in our comfortable pews and in our comfortable Christian bubble homes, in our comfortable Christian culture, listening to Christian radio, going into Christian bookstores, buying Christian books, reading Bible studies, looking at our Christian apps on our nice Christianized iPhones and our Christianized computer, that we can live in that world and not have our hearts broken and devastated with the knowledge that there are billions of people that are going to die and go to hell because they don't know Jesus. If we can't get past that as a people, we need to stop. We need to stop pretending that we are Christians and followers of Jesus Christ. We need to stop coming in here and singing, here am I, Lord, send me. We need to stop with the Bible study because if that study is not getting through my rock-hard heart enough to know that I need to tell people about this truth, not in this building, not where it's comfortable, not in people who agree with me, but in the everyday life, even if I have to pound on doors and say, do you know Jesus? Even if that's the most simple 
or the, the, the best thing I could come up with to do something. Jesus loved you enough to descend from heaven, to be in this filthy flesh, to deal with the pain and the temptation of being human, and to do so even though he knew it would literally kill him and destroy him. Jesus knew that coming in, yet he did it because he loved you. If you could get that, even for just a second, even for just a smidge of what that really means, there is no way in in this world that it would be half of the people in the Christian population that shared the gospel of Jesus. It would be every single one of us. We have to get away from the cliche, I don't have the gift of evangelism, and realize that you have the responsibility. There is no way out. And so right now this morning, during our time, of, uh, our, our time of invitation, I encourage you to repent and lament. Repent and lament the fact that we don't share the gospel as much, not as we ought to, but as much, not as much as we should, but as much as we even want to, to tell people about what Jesus has done for us. Repent and lament of this awful truth, and then, with optimism, look forward to tomorrow. I encourage and I challenge each of you, this is a challenge that I'm going to live as well to the best of my ability and God working through me, to this week and next week and the next week, once every week, share the the gospel with somebody at work in your family online i don't care share the gospel with somebody every week is that really too much to ask one seventh of your lifetime sharing the most important news that could be shared once a week this week homework i don't do that much either repent believe the gospel and share it with other people i'm going to stop The altar is open. I'm here to pray with you. You can certainly pray there where you are. Repent and lament what we have done, what we are doing, and set in your mind to change that reality. You don't have the gift of evangelisting. Maybe, maybe you don't, but you have the responsibility of sharing the gospel, and it ought to compel you so that you can't be told no. Pray about that. Ask for that sense of compulsion. Let's stand together. I'm going to pray. Bill and Lynn are going to lead us in our song of invitation. You move in whatever way God is calling. Father, I confess a lackadaisical attitude towards your gospel. God, to the point that I'm embarrassed even to say it out loud to you. I rejoice over my salvation in you. And the truth that I know that every sin that I've ever committed or will ever commit, you have wiped clean already. I rejoice in that because I see the depth of my sin in this area. God, I pray that you would help us to see the depth of this sin and the urgency to which it ought to move us. And then, through your Holy Spirit, remind us what you can do through us if we just share what we have seen and heard. God, here we are. Send us. Use us. Through your Holy Spirit, convict us and compel us to take the gospel personally. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.